Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's going on, St. Louis Cardinals fans, and welcome to another Believe in Cardinals podcast. As always, I am your host, Braxton Wheeler, and today's date is February 18th, 2023, and this is episode number seven. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SiriusXM, Amazon Music, Pandora, and many more. If you enjoy this show, please hit the subscribe button so you can be a part of the first listen club every time a new show is posted about the birds on the bat. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brax, B-R-A-X-X-X-26 as I post content daily. And send me a message whenever you'd like if you want to hear something specific on the show. All right, guys, welcome into another episode. Um, at the time of this recording, it is Saturday morning at 7.46 a.m. on February 18th. And we are officially one week away from opening day of a spring training baseball games. And the Cardinals will pay, face at the Washington Nationals one week from today. I can't wait. I'm headed to um, uh, Fort, flying to Fort Lauderdale on Friday, and then I'll be at the game on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I cannot wait. I'm excited. It's been really cold. Last night, the wind chill here in Virginia was like 27, 28 degrees, which generally is not too cold this time of year. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening in the Midwest understands that. Like, I don't, I don't know how cold it's been there, but it's actually been a pretty warm February here in Virginia. Um, it's generally one much more cold, but anyway, I'm excited to get out there next week and get to the warm weather. Um, but before we get into anything about this episode, it would be very wrong of me not to, um, mention rest in peace to Tim McCarver. Um, have to start out a little bit more on a somber note here. Um, Tim McCarver passed away a few days ago. He was a two-time world series champion from night in 1964 and 1967. He was a former big league catcher. Big. He was a big league broadcasting uh, a legend. Um, he partnered with Joe Buck to call some World Series, and he finished his career with the Cardinals calling games with Danny Mack. You know, um, I'm 25 years old. I was born in 1997, but when I think of Tim McCarver, the first thing I think of is my childhood. Um, I think about when I first discovered like MLB TV, and I. Every night I'd listen to his broadcast with Danny Mack. Those two flowed so well. And I think of him, I think of just, I don't want to say the Cardinals good days, right? Because they have had a winning tradition. But I think about the days when year after year, the Cardinals were NL, going to the NLCS and NLDS and just having really good postseason success. And he was just amazing at what he did. He called World Series with Joe Buck so well. And it just takes me back to my childhood. So I encourage any of you guys that are listening to the show that are on the younger side, right, that haven't listen to Tim McCarver, go on YouTube, look up some clips, go even watch an entire game on him, you know, calling a baseball game for the Cardinals. He's just amazing. And um, rest in peace to him and thoughts and prayers out to his family. Okay, guys, uh, today's episode, I really want to get into arbitration hearings. Um, I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about Ryan Helsley's arbitration hearing, which was two days ago, but I really want to talk about Corbin Burns arbitration hearing. 
And if you haven't heard the audio, well, I'm going to provide that for you with him post-arbitration hearing. It's uh, really interesting. It's about a two and a half, three minute clip, but you're going to want to hear it. Um, I'm going to dive into some 2023 payroll. I want to take a look at the guys and what they're making and what percentage they're making of the payroll salary for the St. Louis Cardinals and what comes along with the payroll, right? As far as what's the expectations for a player with, with how they are paid. Um, for the St. Louis Cardinals. And a little bit, I want to I mention a few spring training camp battles um, for the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, so let's talk about arbitration. And let's talk about how, in my opinion, I think arbitration is a complete disaster. Um, I think, obviously, it's in the CBA, right? Like this collecting bar- bargaining agreement that the, that the whole Major League Baseball has right now, I think in a couple years it should be revisited. I understand that they can't get rid of it right now. So clearly when the CBA, it's in the CBA, they can't change it. But so before I really talk about the arbitration, if you, look, some people don't exactly know what arbitration is and I'm very big on having people understand exactly what arbitration is before we talk about it. So what is MLB arbitration? Okay. So just bear with me here. I don't, I don't want to be boring, but it is important to understand exactly what arbitration is. So arbitration is what happens when a player and a team cannot agree on a salary number for the upcoming season. A hearing is held between the club and the player, which is heard by independent arbiters. Then the arbiters rule in favor of the player or the club. Okay, Should a player not have a contract for the upcoming season and the club tender a contract, the player and club must agree on a salary number. That's the, that's the problem right there. Must agree on a salary number, and that's why they go to arbitration, because they, they don't. Both parties have to agree on a, to a number by mid-January. Should the player and the club not agree on a salary number for the upcoming season by mid-January, then the team and the player go to salary arbitration. The player and the team both file a salary number they feel is appropriate, mostly based on the salaries of players similar and production over recent years. So really to sum that up, I view it as baseball court. Okay, It's really what it is. You have a player... And you have their agent, and then you have it versus they they are versus the front office. It's exactly what it is. They can't agree on a salary number, so the player and their agent go to an independent arbitrator with a number in mind and an argument in mind, okay, up against the front office, and they have a number in mind, and then they both plead their case, and the independent arbiter decides who is, you know, who wins the case. Now, what problems come along with that? It can be, it's a messy, it's a vicious, you know, a vicious process. A lot of bad blood comes out of it. You know, at the end of the day, teams are trying to prove that the player is worth less than what he believes he's worth. Okay. While the player is trying to earn a raise in the years leading up to free agency. So I don't want to sound like during this episode, I don't want to sound like somebody that's all 100% in on the players. I'm not like that at all. I think that sometimes, and it happens a lot that a player in their in the agent come into an arbitration hearing thinking his value is more than it is. Okay. And it's okay for them to try. I understand that. Um, because they're trying to make the most, you know, that they can, you know, f- it's most salary that they can for that upcoming season. But at the same time, they they overvalue themselves. Okay. But in the in the case of Corbin Burns, which I'm gonna get to in a little bit, the Brewers messed up. There's no way around it. I don't care what anyone says. The Brewers messed up, and we'll break that down, okay? But let's get to Ryan Helsley's case first, so I hope you understand salary arbitration even more. Ryan Helsley's case is not as egregious as, you know, 
as Corbin Burns, in my opinion, like Tyler O'Neill's happened in the middle of the season last year. And even it told it, it, you know, Tyler O'Neill's, he even said it got into his head. It affected the way he was playing baseball. Um, that's awful, man. It's tough. I mean, and it should though. I mean, think about it. You take your own personal life and imagine, you know, you don't know what your salary is going to be while you're playing in the middle of the season or, you know, or you do everything in your power to be a good baseball player and put up the good results. And then the, it's just the other side is just beating you down. They're trying to find any, any and everything to push back against your argument for them to save money. Okay. And it's just not a good mixture. It, I, I don't know when arbitration began, but it's just not a good mixture. Okay. So Ryan Helsley lost his arbitration case. This was Helsley's first arbitration eligible season. So to be eligible, if you don't know, you have to use your first three years. Okay. You have to be in the league for three years. Um, he will make $2.15 million this season after filing for $3 million. The Cardinals have one arbitration case remaining, which is Hennessy Cabrera. Okay, so here's Helsley's quote. After he filed for $3 million and they he lost his case, and he's made, he's, so he's set to make $2.15 million this upcoming season. So this comes from Katie Wu of The Athletic. She recorded Ryan Helsley's quote, and this is via Ryan Helsley. Okay. So he says, there's no hard feelings, which is big. He says, no hard feelings between him and the Cardinals, but acknowledged it was a tough process. As players, I think I wish we wish it was a little different. Multi-year deals were discussed, but the sides were too far apart for anything to come to fruition. Um, the biggest hangup was Helsley's durability. Um, he rarely, so that was, that was end of quote, okay? But the biggest hangup from Ryan Helsley would, was what he was saying is his durability. He rarely pitched on back-to-back -back days last year, but often pitched multiple innings when he was used. Back to Helsley's quote: "They questioned their ability, but we pointed to but pointed to me leading the league in four-plus out saves, so that shut down that argument really quick. You can't really expect guys to go back-to-back -back days if you're throwing 30-plus pitches the night before." End quote. So, I mean, you see what I'm talking about here. Ryan Helsley was an All-Star closer last year he was arguably the top top three closer in baseball last year at one point he might have been the best okay um but as you can see the front office came up with the argument you know too many four out saves and he pitched too many you know 30 pitch outings so he couldn't pitch in back-to-back -back days so he's not worth that extra seven hundred fifty thousand. okay so anyway the best part about this and ryan helsley said if you go listen to his interview he said hey you know if the worst thing that happens to me this year is i'm making 2.15 million dollars i'm doing pretty good okay so he handled it much better than Corbin Burns did, but Co Corbin Burns has a better argument, respectfully, than, than Ryan Helsley. So let's get to the Corbin Burns arbitration ca uh, case. Okay, so before I play the audio, I kind of want a little bit of a back, you know, let's give a backdrop exactly, you know, of, of what Corbin Burns has done, his career earnings, stuff like that. So Corbin Burns statistics. Okay, keep in mind, in 2021, he was a Cy Young winner. He had 2.43 ERA. He had 167 innings pitched. He won the Cy Young. His contract that year was his contract was $608,000. Okay, he was only making $608,000, and he was NL Cy Young winner. Okay, 2020 he made $211,000. 2019, uh, sorry, I don't want to go backwards. Excuse me. 2021, 608,000 Cy Young winner. 2022, he got a huge raise of six and a half or six and a half million dollars. Okay. So let's get to now this upcoming season. Keep in mind, Corbin Burns last season led the MLB in strikeouts.
Okay. His ERA was 2.94. He pitched 202 innings pitched. He struck out 243 batters. There's no way around it. Corbin Burns is one of the best baseball players. In he's, he's the best player on the Brewers. Simple as that. He's the best baseball player on the Milwaukee Brewers. And Corbin Burns came into arbitration and he wanted, this was all over $750,000. So when I play this clip, keep in mind, this is all over $750,000. They agreed that Corbin Burns is going to make a little over $10 million. Okay. That's what the arbitration case settled. But Corbin Burns, on the other hand, he wanted about $10,750,000 if my math is right. Okay. So let's get to the audio and we're going to break this down even more. So enjoy this audio from Corbin Burns. It's about two and a half, three minutes, but it's very important. Give us your perspective on, on this process and the outcome that you got yesterday. Yes, this is, um, you know, obviously I've heard a lot about the, you know, the process from guys in, in the past, um, obviously being good friends with Hayden, he's, he'd gone through it with the Brewers. Um, just kind of knew what to expect going into it. Um, so no surprises as far as that front goes, but um, just as far as the whole thing on, on you know, our perspective and our end of it, we just came out is more that we we're just kind of disappointed with how it went um you know the brewers never really made real attempt to to try to come to a deal to avoid a hearing um at least from our perspective you know i heard heard the comments yesterday but um you know from our end just never really made that that solid attempt to try to you know avoid a hearing um and even even up until you know the days before um there were some phone calls back and forth and basically it just came out that we uh we're going to end up going to hearing. I mean, that's, that was kind of how, how it ended. Um, I think we saw from, from the deadline day that we were going to end up at a hearing, um, just with the, the lack of the attempts to, to get a deal done. Um, so that's unfortunate that it ended up that way. Um, and then the, the hearing itself is obviously another story, um, which we can dig into if you guys want, but, um, it's just one of those things that just at the end of the day, it was just kind of very eye opening. Um, you learn your true value in the organization. Um, and, um, just kind of at the end of the day, it's, disappointing but um you know you got to get past it and and um obviously the folks is playing baseball and going out and doing what i can for the teammates and for the fans like yeah so i was i was at the um, at the hearing flew in the night before um had the hearing all day tuesday um spent valentine's day on a plane um got home at you know 10 11 o'clock and and got to see my wife before she fell asleep so that was kind of <laughs> how the valentine's day went so that was that was fun but um yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, you think you, you, you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the with the big league team, and um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you'd, you'd contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just, you know, it's obviously it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but, you know, they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they, they could have gone about it um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But... Um, you know, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they, they obviously, they won it. Um, but it, it, when it came down to, to winning or losing the hearing, it was, it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player going to a hearing, that it creates just some maybe, not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship was definitely, definitely hurt from... Um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks um yeah there's there, there's really no way of getting around that um obviously we're we're, we're professionals and we're going to go out there and, and do our job and you know, keep doing what i can every five every fifth day that i go out there but um you know when some of the things that are said that um 
you know, for instance, basically basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. That, I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know, we can go go about it. All right, but I'm going to stop the audio there. That makes me so mad on so many levels. I got a lot, a couple things to break down from that clip. But for goodness sake, did you hear the last thing Corbin Burns said? He said, they put me at the forefront, basically, of not making the playoffs. So imagine being the most productive player in a business. Or it, Take your job, for example. Let's say you're the most productive person in your business, the most productive person at your job. And then the next season comes up, and we're talking about a raise. We're talking about making money. We're talking about your value and your worth. And they put you at the forefront of not making the playoffs. Now, look, I don't know the degree of the truth of what Corbin Burns is saying, but all we can do is listen to what he said. I don't know why he would come out immediately after that and lie about that, okay? That is nuts. Putting your best player on the team at the forefront of not making the playoffs, okay? Also, Corbin Burns said there's bad blood. Okay, he used, you know, talking about bad blood. He's talking about there's hurt feelings, a damaged relationship. He said, you know, now you really know your true value to the organization. He's He's been there for seven years. Okay, five years with the big league club. Let's really look at this. Five years with this big league club. In 2018, he had an ERA of 2.61. 2020, 2.11. 2021, 2.43. 2022, 2.94. A Cy Young winner, okay, led the league in strikeouts last year. Think about this. This is all over $750,000. I understand that not every arbitration hearing case that comes up should be, hey, player deserves the money. No, I'm not saying that. But when it comes to your franchise player, your best pitcher, a Cy Young winner two years ago, a guy that led the league in strikeouts last year, and you are not willing to give him the $750,000 that he wants, obviously there's going to be some bad blood there. Obviously it's going to be a damaged relationship there. He's a free agent in 2025. The Brewers better trade him within this season or next season because he's not re-signing with the Milwaukee Brewers. Listen, you normally get the professional answer and the businessman answer from these players, but he, he didn't let anything hold back. He said everything he felt was true, and I agree with everything Corbin Burns is saying. And that's why I think arbitration's a disaster. The Brewers should have never even let it get to this point. It should have never even went to arbitration with Corbin Burns. And forget it, it did. But the fact that they could not come to terms with a guy that wanted $750,000 that has literally carried this team on his back for the last few seasons is absurd to me. Um, it's just a bad look. It's just a bad look. That is their best player, and it's like this around the league. And what I really want to sum this whole Corbin Burns arbitration you know, summary up as simple as this. If Corbin Burns can't come to an agreement over $750,000 with the Milwaukee Brewers, arbitration is a disaster across the league. That is the best possible player that could go to arbitration and they could not come to a settlement. It's just, it's just not a healthy, you know, process per se for baseball. It's just not. If he can't come to an agreement, then, you know, Hell, nobody's going to come to one. That's just the way it's going to work. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that audio. A lot. I don't want to play three-minute clips here and keep you bored, but it was entertaining the whole time. Like, I heard that audio. I was like, wow. That is really a fractured relationship in Milwaukee. And, you know, in the age of social media, go on the Brewers' Twitter page. I think it was two days ago they were posting the um, posting some of the guys throwing bullpens, and it was three guys, and they didn't put Corbin Burns in there, obviously, because I don't think they wanted the, the you know, the response that they were going to get, because obviously all the Brewers fans saw that. And uh, 
well, I mean, you ought to see the responses, man. It is just crazy. <laughs> the fans are like, they, they're taking pictures of the owner. It's just like, man, you got this is awful, awful, awful. And that's just, um, that's me saying it rated G and PG terms. Anyway, um, as a Cardinals fan, since it's a Believe in Cardinals podcast, Look, if we don't see Corbin Burns in our division for a couple years because the Brewers are cheap over $750,000, and so be it. I mean, hey, you want to be a future Carver, a future Cardinal, Corbin? Come on, bring it on. We got you. We got a spot for you. What better way to get back to your back to the Brewers than beating them in division year in and year out? Okay, let's transition. Um, let's transition here. I'm going to take a quick little break, and then we are going to talk about uh, main spring training storylines, some battles to watch out for, and I want to go over a little bit of the Cardinals payroll. Keep it right here on the uh, excuse me, keep it on the Believe in St. Louis Cardinals podcast. All right, welcome back to the Believe in Cardinals podcast. I'm your host, Braxton Wheeler. And now we are going to jump into the St. Louis Cardinals 2023 payroll. Uh, this is interesting. Um, Cardinals payroll right now is set at a price of, let me take a look here. It looks like it's a hundred and, uh, you know, thought I had it right there, but I don't. Anyway, yeah, it's $147 million is the active total payroll. Um, and uh, I think there's one more arbitration case hearing, so I guess that hasn't been played to effect yet. So anyway, the payroll is going to be set around anywhere from 146 somewhere to 147 million dollars for the Cardinals. Okay, so who are the highest paid player on paid players on the St. Louis Cardinals this season? And let's see if they are actually you know leading up, you know, getting paid for their value, or if there's more pressure on them because they're getting paid a lot and they're not producing. And I think we can probably figure out some of these names pretty quick. I'm not going to go over every player on the payroll, but let's take a look at a couple here. Okay. Paul Goldschmidt, the highest paid player this season, 17% of the payroll. He is $26 million player this season with adjusted salaries. Base salary is 22 million. Fine. Let's check that off. I'm going to go through. He, he's a great production MVP last season, right? No matter what happens this season, he's worth that. Okay. Uh, former you know MVP season. He, he deserves every penny of that. Um, Adam Wainwright, his base salary is $17.5 million. His payroll is 12% hit. That's a pretty big hit. Adam Wainwright, though, he's a veteran legend. He, he he provides a lot in the clubhouse. Interesting. It's a lot of money there, age 41. Last season for Adam, regardless of what happens, he deserves every penny for the Cardinals. Um, Miles Michaelis, he's 11% payroll hit. Uh, his base salary is $15 million. Great. And he's our ace. Good job. And this is, you know, sometimes you look at these numbers. And I like to do this. This really, if you want to judge a front office, take a look at these numbers. Who's getting a lot of money? Who's getting, you know, who are these guys? These guys are getting paid big bucks. Are they producing for the team? Producing straight to wins? Uh, uh, the coolest one here of them all, Nolan Arenado. Okay, his payroll hit is only eight percent for the Cardinals, though he is the most he's he's, he's the richest St. Louis Cardinals player, right? He's his salary this season is thirty-five million dollars. Okay, the Cardinals are only paying. 13 million of that salary. Okay. Let's take a look at this. So I tweeted this out yesterday. I went to look at the Colorado Rockies payroll. Of course, we got Nolan Arnado in a trade from the Rockies, which we crushed. Our front office crushed. 
let's not forget the Cardinals are paying Nolan Arenado $13 million this year. The Colorado Rockies, this is this is three years later, are paying Nolan Arenado $16 million. We are still, you know, Nolan Arenado, Nolan Arenado is a settled Cardinal now. He's been here for a while, and they're still paying Nolan Arenado $16 million. That accounts for 10.29% of the Rockies' payroll. That is absurd. That is crazy. Think about that. He is the second highest paid player for the Rockies right now. He don't even play on the team. He's been off the team for three years now, and he's the second highest player. They are playing, paying Nolan Arenado more than we are. Even the percentage of the payroll, the Rockies are still um, paying more than the Cardinals. That's nuts. Uh, anyway, so let's. I just want to get to a couple more of these that really have a lot of pressure on them. And uh, let's talk about Steven Matz. His, his hit is 7%. Excuse me, take a water break. Um, 7% is what Steven Matz is for the Cardinals. His salary is $10.5 million. A lot of pressure on Steven Matz this season. We need him to produce. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. I think um, if we can get him back to somewhat of the Mets form, he's going to be good. But Steven Matz is a big deal for this team this year. I think he's a difference in the team getting 85 to 95 wins. It truly is. And if he can pitch good, then... Um, you, know, you can take this team to the top, but there's a lot of pressure on Steven Matz. Wilson Contreras, $10 million, just fine. Jordan Montgomery, <coughs> $10 million. And really the biggest one of them all is Paul DeYoung. Okay. Paul DeYoung is making $9.16 million. Okay. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Mosaic said a quote the other day. He said, Don't, he said, don't shoot. He literally said this. Excuse me. He said, don't shoot me when I say this, but he said, Paul DeYoung has a, t a chance to really be productive for this club. And it starts, you know, in spring training. That's that's end quote. It's not, you know, word for word, but that's what he said. He said, don't shoot me when he was talking about Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung's a great guy. I mean, you know, there's nothing but great things to say about him, but man, that that's crazy. When you're in your manager saying, don't shoot me before that, like clearly there's a lot of pressure on DeYoung. And let's be honest, the reason Paul DeYoung continuously gets opportunities with this team is because he's making, 9.1 million dollars a year um so yeah a lot of a lot of pressure on paul de young he's gonna have to perform and we don't, let's let's not forget that at one point this man was an all-star he made the all-star team and he has just been uh, i hate to say it like he's been a disaster the last few years and his glove's not the problem he's always going to be a really good defender he can always have some value coming off the bench right like Eighth, ninth inning, we got a one-run lead. You know, the shortstop is not going to have to hit anymore. Yeah, you can bring Paul DeYoung in to play shortstop, and he's going to be a sure, sure-handed out. But let's just be honest. You don't get paid $9.1 million a year just to come off the bench and get a potentially a few outs in the eighth and ninth inning at shortstop. So, anyway, it's a big spring training for him. Um, I don't want to go over too many of these guys. It starts to dwindle down here. Jack Flaherty's making $5.4 million this year. It's a big season for him, right? we got to keep in mind sometimes – um, you know, he was, he's already been in arbitration three different, you know, three years, but he's set to be a free agent this upcoming season. Um, it's a big season for Jack Flaherty. He, he, you know, when he's, a, when he's free agent this upcoming season, he wants to perform well. He wants to stay healthy. And I hope he does. I really do love Jack Flaherty for the Cardinals and I hope he can stay here, but regardless if he stays here or not, you want to root for him so he can get a big off season deal. Um, I'm not going to break down any more of these, but I'm just going to tell you them straight up. Tyler O'Neill's making 4.9 million dollars this upcoming season. Giovanni Gallegos is making 4.7 million. Um and that's kind of all I want to get to. Everybody else is is lower down on the list. But anyway, as a whole, when it comes to payroll, you see what 
the number these guys are making, such as Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, they obviously live up to these contracts. But Steven Matz needs to live up to his. Paul DeYoung, it seems like that ship has sailed, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, beyond that, man, um, we'll see what kind of moves we make in the uh, you know, trade deadline. Now, it's obviously impossible to predict when you when you get extend some of these guys like Paul DeYoung and you sign Steven Matz to a contract. Sometimes they just don't work out, and that might be the case. Um all right, let's close this episode with a few spring training camp battles that we need to look out for. Um, what are the main spring training storylines to watch out for? You know, like I said, I've talked about it a lot. It's a big camp for Paul DeYoung, okay? I don't, and when I say, this is going to sound depressing, but it's the truth. Who cares if, like, Paul DeYoung had a great spring training last season. But who cares if Paul DeYoung hits 333 in spring training this season? I know it's a big deal. I know it's a good sign that he might, you know, might have something back. But at this point, who cares if he hits 333 or 350 or even 290 this spring training? He has to show it in the regular season at this point. And that's just a, that's the truth of it. I hope he finds a good rhythm. I hope he finds a swing. Um, but he he's playing for his Cardinals career, and he might be playing for his Major League Baseball career. Okay? It's just the truth of it. Because... At this point, screw the money, screw all that. You can't have a guy on the roster that's just not producing at all. You can't. Um, there's other guys in this organization that are they're, they're much better. Even the young guys, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, um, all these young guys. I mean, even Alec Burles and all these guys that could be on the bench. Like It's time for them to get a chance, um, regardless of the contract that DeYoung has. Um, speaking of DeYoung, like last year, his average, he had 210 plate appearance. He batted 157. 2021, he batted 197. Look, he hasn't even batted above 200 since 2020, right? So other camp battles, not even a battle. Will Jordan Walker make the team, right? Um, will he make the team? Bill DeWitt said he has a real chance to make the team. Um, if he performs in spring training, he said if, if he plays the best at his position. Now, I don't know what that means. The Cardinals can use a lot of leverage with that. What is his position right now? You know, Is it going to be outfield? Are they trying to work him in the infield some? Is designated hitter going to be his position but regardless it's really people are trying to put this pressure on Jordan Walker to have a great spring training and make the team but like I've said he hasn't even been to AAA yet um I'm not going to call it like a camp battle or something like that because we got to be patient with this kid man he's going to be amazing he's like six foot five like I don't know 255 225 55 one or the other he's he's huge guy he's going to be he's going to be great he's a young kid Let's not put all this pressure on Jordan Walker. Like if he doesn't perform in spring training, then it's really this this big deal. I mean, he's a top five prospect in baseball, um, and he hasn't had one Triple A bat at bat yet. And we're talking about the big league team. I hope he makes it, but we'll see. Um, I think the biggest battle as far as position players goes is Nolan Gorman versus Juan Yepes, um, and this is strictly for who's going to get a lot of these DH at bats. Um, Nolan Gorman had some struggles in the field last season, and Juan Yepes isn't necessarily the best defending outfielder. He's not a liability, but there is a huge opportunity for these two guys to be the DH. I think they are going to be the DH now. Um, you know, with obviously that that means that Tommy Edmonds is going to be at shortstop, Nolan at third, um, second base is going to be uh, Brendan Donovan, or no, you know Tommy Edmond, or sorry Tommy Edmonds shortstop, Brendan Donovan second, Goldschmidt at first. Um, but that opens up the chance right for the these guys to be getting the designated hitter spots, right? And and they're gonna who's gonna who's gonna have a better spring? Who's gonna start as designated hitter on the you know opening day roster, right? Um, and last battle I really have here is pitching, and not 
really starting pitching, but bullpen, right? Let's say we got eight bullpens of arms. You can really scratch. You know, you can already put in four guys in, in those spots. Ryan Helsley, right? No matter what happens, he's going to be in there. Giovanni Gallegos, right? Boom, he's in there. Jordan Hicks, he'll be in there. Um, Andre Pallante, he'll be in there. So that's four pitchers right there up front. That leaves four open spots for some of these guys' names. Packy Naughton, Hennessy Cabrera, Jojo Romero, Drew Verhagen, Chris Stratton, Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson, Jake Woodford. Okay. It's it's a lot of right-handers I mentioned there, right? And between Ryan Helsley, right-hander, Giovanni Gallegos, right-hander, Jordan Hicks, right-hander, Andre Pallante, right-hander, the four guys that I penciled in to be in the bullpen are all right-handers. So we have to – I think Hennessy Cabrera is going to make the team. Um, I do. Um, so that's one left-hander. Uh, Packy Naughton, you know, he – we're still trying to figure out exactly what he is, but I think he showed a lot of potential last year and he's out of Virginia tech. So he's a local guy here. So we'll see. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a big, it's a big spring training for guys to step up in the bullpen. What is Dakota Hudson going to be? Is he going to make the bullpen as an opening day, right? Is he, is he going to, is he going to be a guy to come out of the bullpen? It's so many questions. And there was a whole episode I had on spring training questions. You can go back and listen to, but that's some of the most important camp battles to take a look at. All right, I'm going to wrap this episode up. That's all I have. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and like uh, this uh, show wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Um, next weekend, I will be in spring training. I'll try to post a couple videos. I don't think I'll be able to post a podcast next weekend, but I'll, I'm going to record another one or two this week. And then immediately when I get back from spring training, I'll re record a podcast as far as how the first couple days of spring training goes. So, hey, this is the last Saturday until early October, or until October, maybe even November, without Cardinals baseball. Until next Saturday, all the way to October, we got Cardinals baseball. So, anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody, and go Cardinals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 